Family of the Lord, would you uh, take out your Bibles and would you turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verses 10 through 13. We'll be looking, first of all, at our Old Testament reading. Uh, in those uh, pew Bibles or chair Bibles, it's on page 420. 420. Would you turn there, please? First Chronicles chapter 29, verses 10 through 13. In the ESV Bible, this portion of Scripture is uh, titled, David Prays in the Assembly. We're talking about prayer here this morning. Hear now the eternal word of God. Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly, and David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father. Notice that word, our Father. That's a very rare usage. Uh, David is addressing God as his Father, our Father, in this case. Not just that he acts like a Father, but he's calling him Father. And then he says, Forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom. I hope you're tracking, brothers and sisters, with these words, the power, the glory, the kingdom. O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. So far the reading from God's holy word. Turn now into the New Testament to Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 13, where Jesus, in the midst of a great sermon, the greatest sermon ever, is teaching them on prayer, teaching the disciples about prayer. It's found on page 964. Continuing now in the New Testament. And when you pray, this is Jesus speaking, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Brothers and sisters, I'm going to continue with verse number 13 as it's recorded in the King James Version Bible. Um, 
this portion that I read to you now uh, was, was not found in the earliest Greek manuscripts that we've ever unearthed or obtained, but this last phrase was found in some early church teaching. Um, it looks like it was a tradition that was added very early in the church to end this prayer with the phrase that we are about to say. The King James Version folks, 1611, picked up on that and added that to the scripture here that we've just read. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The title of this message is Kingdom Prayers. And let me open with a short prayer. Father, your disciples, the disciples of Jesus long ago said, Lord, teach us to pray. We ask this morning, Lord, that you help us, teach us to pray. Teach us to be concerned for your kingdom. To remember that to do your kingdom work, we need your power. And all of it for your glory. Help your servant this morning. Let them not see me. Let them um, see Jesus. Let them hear from you. Help me to be faithful this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Kingdom prayers. This message is two parts. The first part is the prayer closet or the secret place. The second part of this message is titled, God's kingdom or for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. First of all, the prayer closet, the secret places, wherever they may be. My question for you this morning is, Who cares about God's kingdom? Who cares about his will being done on earth? Who cares about his glory? Do you care? Do I care? Who cares? Jesus gives us an answer. The Bible records Jesus as saying these words. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Who are those that are poor in spirit? They're the ones for whom this world and the things of the world don't satisfy. They don't fulfill the soul. The ones that care are those who are thirsty and hungry for righteousness, and for a relationship with God. They are the restless ones in this world who find their rest in God alone. Who are those who care? The Apostle John, it's recorded in the Bible. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 13. I'll go there and just read that to you. Who cares about God, his glory, his kingdom, his will, These are the ones that care. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life 
is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Who cares? Those who care are those who love the Father. And they love his son, Jesus Christ, and they want to please him. It's a popular song right now. It's a good one. It's called Christ is Mine Forevermore. The very first verse of Christ is Mine Forevermore goes, Mine are days that God has numbered. I was made to walk with him. Yet I look for worldly treasure and forsake the king of kings. That's sad. That's sad, isn't it? Forsake the king of kings. So where do we develop an appetite for the kingdom of God? A determination and a longing to do his will. Where do we strengthen and nurture our love for God? Brothers and sisters, we do so in the prayer closet. Getting alone with God. We started this message here by looking at David's final prayer. Because when we started with that prayer that I read to you in 1 Chronicles chapter 21, that was David's final prayer of his life, final recorded prayer of his life. And he did that in a great assembly, and that's why he said, Our Father, Our Father. But I want to tell you something. Leading up to that final prayer of David was a life of prayer. So many of those prayers are recorded in the Psalms. So many of the Psalms of David are simply his private prayer life his private prayer life that has been put to poetry or to songs. Psalm 4. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer, David writes, David prays. Psalm 5. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for to you I pray. Psalm 17, give ear to me and hear my prayer. Psalm 54, hear my prayer, O God. Psalm 61, hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. Psalm 141 just goes on and on. Oh Lord, I call upon you. Hasten to me. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you. But what did David pray for in those Psalms? He prayed for everything. He prayed for comfort, for security, for peace, for protection, for forgiveness, for courage, for guidance, for love. Psalm number three. His own son, his beautiful son Absalom, has raised up a big army in Israel to crush David, his own dad, his own father, to crush him, to kill him, and all of his followers perhaps as well. And what does David do? He's alone in the desert and he prays. But thou, O Lord, art a shield about me. You're my glory. You're the lifter of my head. He looks to his Father in heaven to protect him from his own son. You know what that psalm concludes with? He fell asleep. How do you fall asleep when you're in the desert and your son is coming for you with an army far greater than yours? Psalm 23, courage. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. 
Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Courage. Psalm 63, love. David loved his God passionately, and he knew that his God loved him. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. And I will praise you as long as I live. Love. Leading. Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. The personal intimate prayer life of David enabled him to deeply and profoundly experience the goodness of God, the power of God, the majesty of God, the sovereignty of God. He's in absolute control. The beauty of God and the love of God, especially his love. What David also learned in his prayer life, his private prayer life, is that God answers prayer. David had incredible confidence that his God was for him and for his people Israel and that he would do whatever he asked of his Father in heaven. This remarkable, inseparably, uh, or this relationship that David has with his God, this remarkable relationship of love that he has with his Father in heaven was united David's prayer life, his love for the Lord, was united to his fierce, his fierce and passionate desire to see God's kingdom advance, to see the people of God be honored and respected, and supremely and ultimately to see that his God, his Father in heaven, would be glorified. I'd like to say this morning, brothers and sisters, that this is not unique to David. This passion to see his kingdom come and his will be done, to him be glorified, happens to every single person who knows God, who loves him, and is a man or a woman of prayer. David is a teenager, probably a teenager, comes to the battlefield. Israel on one side, army. Philistines on the other side, army. They have a giant, a powerful giant, Goliath. He walks down into the valley, Valley of Elah, in between the two armies. For 40 days, he's mocking the armies of Israel, scorning them, which also implies they're scorning his God, their God. David wasn't part of that army, having to listen to this for 40 days, day after day. David's father, Jesse, said, take some cheese and some other foods, take them to the army, give them to your brothers. David gets there, and he sees when he arrives this Philistine, this giant in the middle of the valley, mocking the armies. David looks around him, and he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that's mocking the armies of the living God? What will be done for the one that dispatches him, is what he's saying. Goes and meets with King Saul. Saul wants to put armor on, don't need this. Don't know how to use it. I'll go on my own. God delivered me from the bear and the lion. He'll deliver from me from this uncircumcised Philistine. David gets to the battlefield. 
Goliath looks at this boy, mocks him. What is this? You're coming at me with sticks, you, you little dog? David, he's not intimidated at all. He runs at Goliath. He's got five smooth stones, and as he's running at him, he says, you come at me with spear and javelin and sword, but I'm coming at you in the name of the God of Israel. And he's going to deliver your head to me. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Do you see this attitude that David has for his God and for God's people? You think this is any different for us today? No. Anybody who's passionate for God, who's fallen in love with God, is overwhelmed by his love. And sees his majesty and power and glory. This is our God. We'll also be passionate for how the church is treated. The church is like a David having to face Satan, the giant of our day. you got to face Satan's tools, social media, which breathes venomous words about a baby's life in the womb, sexual immorality and perversion. Satan's a giant. God said this about David, I have found David to be a man after my own heart who will do all my will. And so God made him king. What is the secret of having a kingdom heart? It's praying in secret. I told the children here this morning that Jesus had a private prayer life. He got away early in the morning. And quite often in other places. He went away to solitary places, desert places, secret places, alone with God, communing with his Father. And here's what Jesus said about his relationship with his Father. For the Father loves the Son, Jesus says, and he shows him all that he himself is doing. Jesus told his disciples, I love the Father, and I do all that he commands. My food, Jesus said to the disciples, is to do the will of him who sent me. And because Jesus himself had this attitude, this relationship with his father, God installed Jesus as king over his people and over all creation forever, to be the king forever. Jesus, the son of God, was a kingdom man. He was a kingdom man. Are you about the kingdom? Am I? Jesus began his ministry, and here's the first words he said after he was baptized. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Part two of this message, kingdom prayers. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. First of all, for thine is the kingdom. What is the king? What is Jesus? Seeking to establish. What are the aspects of this kingdom? The characteristics. They're so broad when you talk about the kingdom of God. One of those is justice. The ending of slavery was a justice issue. A Christian, a great Christian named William Wilberforce, fought so long in Parliament in England to abolish slavery in England and in the empire. Justice for the unborn, for those that can't speak up for themselves. These little infants that are still kicking around, still listening to you sing to them in the morning. Abortion, justice, civil rights. These are valid issues for the kingdom. 
Martin Luther King Jr., he was right to battle for a black child and a white child to be able to drink from the same drinking fountain or for the bus on the seat to be available to a Hispanic, black, white, Asian, doesn't matter to all. It's a kingdom issue for the poor, ministering to the poor. The Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul, comes back to report back to the Apostles all the things that God was doing through him to reach lost people for Christ. They gave Paul the right hand of fellowship, sent him on his way to continue his ministry, and then they said, only remember the poor. And the Apostle Paul answered back, the very thing I want to do. Unity, unity in Christ. Beauty, ecology, taking care of the land, bringing beauty into the world, holiness, the church. We, as kingdom people, are supposed to be the pillar and the foundation of truth in society. Light should be shining from us. Holiness. We stand up against sexual immorality while even loving the people who practice it. To stand in the midst of moral chaos and darkness and to shine for God. All of these are valid kingdom characteristics, but I'm going to focus this morning on one aspect of God's kingdom. Just one characteristic. We dare not overlook this characteristic this morning. And here's what it is. The one aspect this morning. The kingdom of God needs citizens. King Jesus wants citizens. In the heart of this broad gospel of the kingdom is the sharply focused saving gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of God's grace. Now this concerns, brothers and sisters, saving the lost. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, to rescue the perishing from the domain of darkness and to bring people in to his kingdom, the kingdom of God's beloved Son. The whole book of Acts, wonderful book of Acts, is about reaching the lost with the gospel. Paul, who figures prominently in the book of Acts, doesn't even care about his life. He says, all I care about is finishing the course and the ministry that Christ gave me to preach the gospel of God's grace. That's all he cared about. And he said in another place, I make myself all things to all people so that by all means I might win some for Christ. That's in the Bible. Well, okay, great. It's in the Bible. So what do you mean by that? Well, listen to that again. I make myself all things to all people so that by all means I might what? Win some for Christ. Paul was a soul winner. Were there Baptists in that early church? Don't know. After all, brothers and sisters, what is the kingdom of God without citizens? The Bible says this, 
God is not wanting, he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 2 Peter 3.9. The Bible says, Our Father in heaven is not willing that even one of these little ones should perish. If you ever go to the old firehouse community center here on the north side of Black Oak and you open up the door, you can't miss it. You're going to see a 20-foot sign that says, God is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. Now, I've been there for 33 and a half years, but you realize that every time I go into that, I see that sign, I keep saying to myself, Lord, what am I doing? What am I doing? Now, you take God's revealed will, not perish, God's revealed will, and you join it together with Christ's heartfelt compassion that's been revealed to us in Scripture for the lost. And you hear Jesus said, You see scripture saying this, when Jesus looked on the multitudes, he had compassion on them, for they were helpless and harassed like sheep without a shepherd. Then he turned to his disciples and he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Pray, we're talking about prayer this morning, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest field. And so we go to Longfellow Elementary School. Calumet Christian goes to Calumet High School. By God's grace, you'll go to your family members that don't know the Lord. You and I will go to our neighbors that don't know the Lord, our friends that don't know the Lord. For thine is the kingdom and the power, the power. The might and the rage of the evil one is great. Satan does not easily relinquish his control of this world, and his vice-like grip on lost souls is strong. It is really, really strong. You need power to advance the kingdom of God You need power to effectively spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. You need power from above. You need God's power. First Chronicles that we were just looking at. This is what David said. He recognized that this power is from above. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the victory. Both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all. In your hand are power. And might, it's in your hand to give strength to all. We need power from above. Jesus Christ, as he was being taken up to heaven, we call it the ascension, the ascension. But just before he was taken up into the clouds, he told the disciples, now you stay in the city until you receive power from on high. The disciples said, Lord, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times and the dates that are established by the authority of my Father in heaven. But you, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then, and then, not before, then you will be my witnesses, starting in Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, and then the outer ends of the world. And so the apostles and Mary, the women and others with one accord devoted themselves to prayer. Humble, 
God-honoring, dependent corporate prayer. They prayed, Our Father. These are sons and daughters of the living God who are together praying in Jesus' name, and they're praying to their Father in heaven who loves them. And he loves them, and they're depending on him. They're humble before him. They're seeking his face, and he heard them. He always hears people who love him and come to him with that attitude. He can't resist. Because he's their father, and he loves them. And they're coming in the name of Jesus, in his very life name of Jesus. Ten days after the ascension, when Jesus had been taken up, ten days later, Pentecost came. The Holy Spirit came upon those disciples and those that were gathered in prayer, came upon them in power. This is the same power that hovered over the waters at creation at the beginning. It's the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Dead couldn't hold Jesus down. There's a power greater than death. That's God's power, a power from above. The gospel, the good works of God. Peter preaches a powerful sermon on that day of Pentecost. 3,000 were added, those that are being saved. He preached another sermon a little later. 2,000 were added. The people that were gathered in Jerusalem were made up of people from all over the world, all nations, Jews from all nations were gathered. And the church grew strong in love and in holiness, devoted to prayer, and in the apostles' teaching, the Lord's Supper and fellowship, like beacon light. We're trying to grow in these things. There was warmth, there was light, and there were numbers added daily of those being saved. But persecution had to come to that church. God knew it. He allowed it to happen. The church was persecuted badly, severely, and they were scattered They must go out to Judea, Samaria, outer ends of the world. And the gospel spread. Souls were being saved. Satan was powerless to stop them. Powerless to stop them. Why was he powerless? Because these people were going out in God's power. Prayerful power. God's power. And the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. We have a poet in our midst. His name's Bob Coburg. He wrote this poem, In Our Town. We have areas that are not safe or stable, but we gather on the Lord's day whenever we're able. Our congregation has people that pray. God's truth is preached, and it will stay that way. And we all go to church on Sunday. We ask the Lord why there's no revival, why many chairs are empty as we preach the Bible. And even as we pray in our comfortable seats, we know the mission field is out in the streets, and we all go to church on Sunday. We say our church is open. Why don't they come in? We look to the heavens where it all begins. From out of the starlight comes a whisper, not a shout. For my message to prosper, you all must go out, and we all go to church on Sunday. From Monday to Saturday, let's leave the soft chairs and share with our neighbors that our Savior cares that Jesus died for the child, the mom and the dad, for our salvation. God gave the best that he had. Then we will all go to church on Sunday. There will be gladness and joy on Sunday. Praise the Lord, hallelujah, on Sunday. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory. I conclude with glory. God's kingdom work done in God's power brings glory to God. Kingdom prayers bring glory to God. Why do they bring glory to God? Two things. First, let's go back to where we started. Private 
prayer, actually taking time to be alone with God our Father and with Jesus Christ our Lord, loving him. Love is spelled T-I-M-E. Taking in his greatness, taking in his power, his goodness, his beauty, remembering the cross. All of this produces in you, it produces in me, a resolute, sometimes burning desire to see God glorified, to see him glorified, to see him magnified. That's what Mary said long ago. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And we want to see his kingdom advance. Why do our kingdom prayers bring glory to God? Because they show that we are humbly and totally dependent on God. We trust in God. He is the source of our power. When we do our work prayerfully, when we talk the talk prayerfully, when we walk the walk prayerfully, when we live our life in Christ prayerfully, it becomes apparent to everyone who knows us, all who observe us, more importantly, it's apparent to God himself that we know we can do nothing apart from God and apart from Christ. We can do nothing, nothing apart from him. And God our Father is pleased when he sees this and he hears and answers our prayers. Why? He gets all the glory. His purposes are advancing. His loving purposes are advancing. And he, he alone gets all the glory. 2 Chronicles 7.14 If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. I leave you with a practical. I'm supposed to, if I was in seminary, I'm supposed to leave you something practical. This was really practical, but I'm going to give you a little practical thing. In the morning, before you begin your day, would you meet with the Lord? I know full well you could be scrambling and while you're taking care of babies or while you're driving off to work or going to school and you're running late, you could pray, of course. I'm asking you today, for the sake of the kingdom, God's kingdom and his will and his glory, to Start your day in private, secret, closet prayer. I became a Christian at 27. I was a lazy salesman at that time. I wouldn't get up until 8 o'clock in the morning and to get even beginning on the day, let alone go to work. And I had no prayer life. I knew this was wrong, all of it, so I started to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning. It was too early for me. 5 o'clock in the morning. And I knew I had to start to learn how to pray and spend time with the Lord. I remember distinctly that first day, I got on my knees by my bed, and I prayed at 5 o'clock in the morning. I didn't even make it five minutes, and I fell into a sleep. When I popped myself alert, I said, oh, I was so embarrassed and ashamed before God. But you know something? I didn't feel guilty. I knew that he was pleased that I was trying. So now for me, this is a personal testimony. I couldn't make 5 o'clock at that time, so I shifted it to 
So for the last almost 40 years, I get up at 5.30. Some of the pastoral duties earlier in, in my life made me get up at 4.30. Farmers, you're used to that stuff, so <laughs> this isn't impressive to you at all. <laughs> to pray. I want to tell you something. When you hear a really good song in the morning, a really good song, here's what you might say to your husband or to your wife. Ah, I can't get that song out of my head. I'm going to be singing that song all day. This is how it is when you start your day in prayer. Whether it's five minutes or whatever, it's going to stick with you all day. You won't be able to get it out of your head, the presence of the Lord with you. You'll be untying the knot in your shoe and you'll say, Lord, help me to get this knot untied. You'll be a little bit running from, late from work. Oh, Lord, help me to get to work on time. Oh, Lord, don't let those railroad gates come down. Lord, I'm really afraid to make this phone call. Help me. Lord, you're going to be talking to him all day. Start your day in prayer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it this way. A day that goes on without morning and evening prayer and without intercession is actually a day without meaning. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Pray. For his is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, for the sake of your kingdom, for the sake of your will, for the sake of your glory, for the sake of lost people, teach us to pray. In Jesus' name, amen.